0: I want to just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit during this time? I think God has something to say, and I just always want to be kind of open to what, how He wants to do it. And so we're going to be starting a new series today called "Seeds." And if you go to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, if you have a Bible, it says, "While earth remains, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease." What it's saying here is that there are some things that started at creation that will continue until we have the new creation. There's some things that God set in motion that will continue until heaven meets earth, until we have new creation. And it's important for us to understand those things because those are put in place by God and they are principles of God. They are Just like natural laws of God, you know, gravity, what what comes up must go down, right? Gravity is like a natural law, and it's a law that happens whether you believe in it or not, or whether you (laughs) want to participate in it or not, it's going to happen. There are some things that God has set in motion that we could call laws or we could call principles of God that are in place, that He set in place at creation and that will be in place until new creation. so... With that foundation, let's pray. God, we just invite your spirit into this time. And God, I pray by revelation that you would do something in us that only you can do by your spirit, that you would reveal things in our life that would would cause change and cause growth in us so that we could grow in more likeness of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. So one of those laws we're going to be talking about in this series is what I would call the law of the seed. The law of the seed. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. When you recognize the ways of God, then you can fully participate in the culture and the ways of the kingdom of God. And so it's important for us to recognize the way God operates, the culture of the kingdom, some of the things he sets in place, and the seed principle is is one of those ways, and it goes all the way back to creation. And so we're laying a foundation here because it's so important for us to understand this. If you go back to creation, have you ever wondered, like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Anybody ever wondered that question? Yeah. Well, in, in some part of creation, we actually get to find out. Because I, don't, I have these moments in my life where I wonder if everybody else already knows this, but I'm just, like, now figuring it out. And this was one of those a couple years ago that I'm like, Maybe everybody else knew this, and I'm just now figuring it out. But if we go back to creation, we can actually see something very, very interesting, and it's embedded into the way God works, into the laws of God, and into this principle that we're talking about. Pay very close attention. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. See, I always thought when God created everything, He would just, like, create you know, land and sea, and put a cow over here, and put, you know, whatever, and it, but evidently, when it comes to these plants, that's not what God did. God didn't just make plants and put them in places. Did you see that? Let me read it again. When no bush was in the field yet, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Which came first, the plant or the seed? Isn't this amazing that when God created plants, he didn't create them in their fullest form. He created plants in their seed form. And later on in the scripture, it says that God planted a garden. And so this is the way that God works. When God created plants, he he didn't create the full plant, he created the seed for the plant, according to this scripture. Because the seed principle is so important to God. Have you guys think that if God does this in creation, He's probably going to do this in our life too? He's probably going to start with something that looks like a seed. And so many of us, we, we despise small things. We despise little incremental things that we think are insignificant because we're looking for the whole plant instead of paying attention to the seed. But evidently, God works with the seed, so do not despise. The small things, don't discount the power of a seed. You know that every single one of us are planting seeds in some way. There are people planting seeds in your life right now. Don't discount the power of a seed. And so we're going to talk about the power of the seed all throughout this series because it's one of the laws of God. And if you learn how to cooperate with the laws and the principles of God, then you will will plug into the divine flow of God and work in his way in your life and the way that he wants to work in your life. But how many of you guys know that Satan is opportunistic? And he will also leverage anything that he can And he's no stranger to the idea of a seed. And he will also take advantage of trying to plant seeds in our life. If you go over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, it's one of the parables or the stories of Jesus. And it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's the title of today's message is the wheat and the tares. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And so there's a man who's sowing seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came. He had an enemy who came in and sowed in weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. And and it goes on and it says, and so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. See, Jesus later on explains this parable, and I understand it's a wider principle to the parable, but I want you to get this principle within it, which says that even though... God is planting seeds in our life. How many of you guys know the enemy will also try to plant seeds in our life? And I didn't really want to start off this series this way, but I felt the nudge of God continually nudging me to to, uh, go this direction. Because I think if we can recognize the enemy's seeds, it will help us be able to see more clearly God's seeds in our life. Because so many times in our life we're so caught up and we don't realize the seeds that the enemy is sowing and we cannot see the seeds that God is sowing. And so I want us to be aware of some of those seeds throughout the series and in today's message. And let me just share one that happened years ago in 2017. It was the end of 2017. And if you, you know my story, I, I've been called to ministry even from a young age, called to speak and preach and all that type of stuff. I got to the end of 2017. I was over at Pastor Aaron and Sarah's house, and my family was, and I sat down with them, and I was just kind of in a weird spot. And I I sat down with them, and I just kind of, it was almost like a confession. I was just like, I don't even feel like preaching anymore. And for you, that might not be a big deal, (laughs) because maybe you've never felt like preaching. But for me, it was like, I, ever since I was called, I had always felt this draw and this desire to, to preach the word of God. It was tied in with my assignment, and here I was in this moment where I just felt nothing. I just felt no desire. It was strange. It was odd, and I thought, "Man, what's going on with me?" I took some time in prayer. I took some, I, and I realized that the enemy had sowed a seed. You know, he'll sow a seed of doubt. He'll sow a seed of, uh, of all these different things. Doubt your calling, doubt your purpose, doubt your way. But I had to discern that. And when I pulled that up, then all of a sudden I could step back into that purpose. And what I'm saying is my heart for you today is, is that I want us to be careful Because maybe right now you might be feeling off in a different way and you might feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm called to this anymore. I don't know if I should be going this direction or I don't know if this relationship is going to work out or I don't know what's going on in this area of my life. I'm just suggesting what if the enemy has come and sowed a seed there in your life? And so it's time to uproot those seeds, because if we can uproot those seeds, then we can allow God to do a greater work in our life. And so what are some of those things? And I just felt like to deal with three of them today that God put on my heart. And the first one is this. This is a seed that the enemy sows. And it, it is lies believed as truth. Lies believed as truth. He will sow a seed that is a complete lie, but he does it so sneakily that eventually it becomes so familiar that it feels right. And so I, I wanna illustrate this, and I'm gonna take you to a place in the building that many of you have not been before, okay? So it, but it's, it's important to me because there's some things that, that happened in this place that was significant that I think about. So let's go, let's, let's go to this place. All right guys, I'm gonna take you behind the scenes at journey church some of you guys have probably never been in this room you don't even know where this is at but this room here this you might recognize this background back here this is where we do like our video announcements and stuff uh over here we've got our live stream stuff so all that stuff goes out on the internet a lot of other things happening in here we've got a lot of transitions going on in the building and uh, so it some of you guys are like i don't even know this room exists but This used to be my office a long time ago and it's where I'd meet with people, but we kept running out of space. And so we had to keep bumping things out of the way and moving people in different places. And the reason I'm back here is because there's a certain conversation I had years and years ago with a couple in our church who's no longer in our church. Uh, But I had this conversation right in this very room, and I think about it often, and it's because they were really upset about something, they were really, really frustrated, and so we came to meet to try to solve the problem, and the issue was they were really frustrated and really angry about something, but they didn't know the actual story of what had happened, and so they were frustrated about something that wasn't actually even true. And so I sat him down and I said, here's what actually happened in this situation. Now, how does that change things for you when you know the actual situation? The weird thing was it didn't change anything for them. They were still upset and they were still angry. I said, but how can you be upset and angry? Because what you're upset and angry about actually didn't happen. And it didn't change their conclusions at all. That's the The problem, they were so in love with their conclusions that they were unwilling to examine the foundations of how their conclusions even happened. And that's what the enemy does. He gets us so in love or maybe so comfortable with where our conclusions are that we fail to go back and examine the foundations. That's what happens when lies begin to be believed as true. Could this be happening in your life? Are there things that you're angry about, things you're frustrated about, things that you keep hitting the wall on, but you are so convinced for whatever reason that your conclusions are accurate on how you got there or what the issues actually are that you end up just perpetuating the cycle because you're so in love or rather comfortable with the conclusions you've come up with instead of going back and examining the foundations because Quite possibly, Satan has sown a seed in there, and it could be a lie that he's sown in there that maybe we've become so accustomed to, it feels like true. And, and that's what the enemy does, is he comes and he sows a lie until we believe it as truth. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Yeah, I have. I've experienced it that way before. So how do you discern those things? How do you uproot those lies? When your conclusions seem so convincing, well, you've gotta, obviously you've got to go back to the Word of God. We've got to anchor ourselves in the Word of God, and then you have to have wise counsel around you. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You have to have people who love you, who care for you, who, tr- who, who are trusted people in God that can speak into the blind spots. And then you have to have a humble heart to be able to listen to that. Is it possible that there are lies lives that you have believed as true? John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. What is he doing? He's coming to steal truth from you. He's coming to kill your authority and your identity He's coming to rob you. He's coming to to destroy your devotion to God. Why? Because he's the father of lies. He's the master of deception. And he's the questioner of identity, which leads us to the second seed that we want to deal with. The second seed is this. It's convenience at the expense of your authority. Do you realize that you have authority in Jesus? Do you have autonomy apart from the situation around you even? That you have freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, authority over the enemy? But what the enemy will do is he will sow a seed of convenience to get you comfortable and convenient in life so that you surrender some of your authority. You guys remember, some of you guys remember back around 9-11, when 9-11 happened, then the Patriot Act came out. Some of you guys are more familiar with this than I am, but the Patriot Act came out and it was expanding the government's surveillance opportunities in order to keep things like that from happening again, right? And I remember a lot of debate over the years of how far are we willing to go to give up our autonomy and to give up our freedoms and to give up our rights in order to stay safe. And people were all over the map on that. It reminds me of that wonderful year 2020. How many of you guys love that one, right? That that was great. What was happening? Well, there were some people that were, were, you know, the whole debate was how much of our autonomy and freedom are we willing to give up for comfort and safety? And some people are way over here saying, not a bit. I'm not doing anything. And then other people over here like, take it all, whatever it takes, right? And most people were in between, somewhere in between. And so this is the idea of what the enemy does with us is try to figure out how much we will surrender for the sake of convenience. Now, before some of you guys get all upset about how bad the government is and the surveillance and stuff, you better you better check and make sure you don't have one of these in your pocket. Because they've got your facial recognition. They're tracking every place you go. You're listening to your conversations. You've got an Alexa in your house. They're listening to everything, right? You've already surrendered. What I'm saying is this, for even those of us who are so, no, I'm hanging on to my, my freedom. How many of you, the same people, have one of these that you know good and well has already, you've already surrendered all of it. Why? For the sake of convenience. And what I'm saying is, that if an iPhone can get you to surrender most of your freedoms that you say that you don't want to have the government in your business or anybody in your business, if all it takes is an iPhone, don't you think the devil's going to be looking for iPhones in your life to try to get you to surrender some of your convenience spiritually? And he will find the iPhone in your life. He'll find whatever it is. Boy, I'm preaching now. I'm getting in everybody's business. I I realize... I should have stayed home or something, but thank you. Yeah, I knew we seated you guys right. That's awesome. (laughs) But come on, isn't it true? Isn't it true how quickly we will surrender our autonomy for a convenience? Spiritually in your life, I want you to pay attention. The enemy is sneaky. He will get you to surrender your autonomy, your freedom, your authority for whatever convenience he can find that you're willing to give it up for. And we need to pay attention to that. You know, I said this last night, but we have, we have five kids. We had the first four in like five years. It was like pack, pack, pack them in, right? And it was like just they were a pack wherever they went. And then we had six years go by and then we had a surprise, our last one. And my older four always give us a hard time because they're like the stuff that the youngest one gets to do that they never got to do. How I many you guys know what I'm saying? I'm like, guys, we were just tired now. We're tired of it, right? We're just go do what you want. We, what are we doing? We're giving up some of our authority because we're just tired. We just want to be comfortable, right? But how many times that happen in our life, right? And so pay attention. It happens spiritually. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not one, but he's prowling around as if he has that kind of authority. He's seeking someone to devour. He's seeking someone who will surrender their authority for the sake of some comfort or convenience. And he really only has the power that we give to him. Because why? He was disarmed and stripped at, on the cross, right? When Jesus won our victory on the cross. He, his authority was dismantled when Jesus rose from the grave. But he prowls around like a roaring lion. This leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's important because... Paul, like Jesus, you know, Jesus would use parables and stories. Paul would use events and things of his day as illustrations, word pictures, to communicate a truth. And he talks about a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to another from life to life who is sufficient for these things. Have you ever wondered what something like that means, right? Well, he's talking about a triumphal procession. And in those days, if there was a great military conquest, then there would be, they'd have to get permission for this, but they could have a military parade, a victory parade throughout the city. And there were several requirements for this uh, actually being uh, allowed to happen. It had to, had to be a, a condition. Where it would have to be that the victory was complete and decisive. There were no questions about who won. There would have to be at least 5,000 that were slain in the battle. It would have to somehow extend the borders of the kingdom or the territory. And it would have to be somehow put an end to a war of some sort. And if it met all of these requirements, then they could have the parade. And they could go through the town. And while they were going through the town, there would be all these fragrances and flowers and things that were thrown. And so Paul is tying in a picture here of what's going on with all of this aroma and the triumphal procession. He's painting a picture of what's going on. And what they would do is the commander would come in on a big chariot led by four horses, which was unusual to have four of them. But he was the victor. He was the commander. And he would come in, and, and they would have this all this victory coming in and behind them, many times, would be towed in tow the prisoners of war, or at least the key ones that were surrendered or that had lost the battle. And this was called a triumph. This was called the triumph parade. And this is what they would do. And in this, Paul is painting a picture. He's saying, This is what it's like in Christ. Jesus, get the picture, Jesus is in the chariot. Jesus is the victor. There's an aroma that's all around it. And the devil, the enemy, is being towed behind. Why? Because he is defeated. Now here's my question. Where do you see yourself in that picture? Do you see yourself in the chariot with Jesus? Or somehow being towed behind the enemy who's in charge? So many believers see themselves all the time as being a victim to the enemy, a victim to the enemy, instead of riding in the chariot with Jesus. Because I want you to understand that Jesus won the victory. But the enemy is doing what? He's being towed behind, but he's talking from behind all the time, isn't he? He's trying to get you convinced, even though you're in the chariot, that you have lost. And if he can get you to surrender your authority, then you essentially have lost. If he can get you to surrender your identity, you essentially have lost. And so let me give you a phrase before we go on that the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave me that might be a warning sign, that you might wonder if this is like you, if this is you, this is a warning sign. And here's the phrase. If you find yourself saying something to the effect of this, it's just easier Not to. It's just easier not to try again. It's just easier not to fight anymore. It's just easier not to stand. It's just easier not to go back to church. It's just easier not to get back in community. It's just easier not to stand on the word again. It's just easier. To protect myself. It's just easier not to. If you find yourself saying that phrase, can I just say it might be a warning sign that you have surrendered your authority for some comfort or convenience? And it's a seed that the enemy has sown in your life. Come on, guys, it's time to uproot it. If you want to get mad at anything and kick the devil in the teeth, you ought to be doing it right now with something like that. Say, I'm not going to allow him, I'm not going to give him any territory. I'm not going to give him any ground in my heart. I'm not going to let a lie get in my heart. I'm not going to surrender who I am. And then the last one is this. Distractions in the place of devotion. He will sow distractions just to keep us and our attention away. And listen, I've seen so many people at, at some of the most key, crucial moments in their life, pivot point times, and what happens? The enemy tries to sow distractions so that they're so busy with everything else, so distracted everywhere else that they can't see what they really need to be looking at. This is a tool of the enemy. How many of you guys were a little disappointed that we didn't get to do the Fall Fest parade last weekend? I was, we were all ready. We were all going over there. We were getting ready to do a parade, and we didn't get to do it. But I did get to go down to the carnival as they were setting it up. And in there... There's an illustration for us, for uh, that we need to see, and so let's check it out at the carnival. All right, I'm out here, and they're setting up for the carnival for the fall fest. While I'm shooting this, so there's all kinds of noise and chaos going on behind me. But it reminded me of something I heard about recently. That in the last years of the Roman Empire, the last few centuries, they were so concerned about riots and the people revolting that they ended up doing all sorts of things to try to. Uh, keep that from happening. In fact, we learned in our study of the book of Acts that many times Paul was in prison because people were falsely accusing him of starting a riot. And the government was so concerned about that, they did all sorts of things. And one of the things that uh, would cause people to get stirred up is when they felt like there was gonna be a food shortage. And so the government ended up giving them free or highly subsidized allotments of wheat each year to keep them happy, to keep them from revolting. And another thing that would provide for them was entertainment, carnivals. Think, think uh, things like chariot races or even the gladiator games, uh, theaters, different things. And just to keep the people busy, keep the people happy so that they wouldn't focus on what really was important uh, as far as the government was concerned. And so some people think our government does that now, but um, that's why all of a sudden we hear about different like UFOs and aliens and different things like that. But I'm not getting into any of that, but uh, I do know that our enemy does that. He will definitely come while we're distracted and bring us um, what Juvenile, one of the writers of the day called bread and circuses, just things to keep us entertained, things to keep us happy. And he will do that while we're distracted and so distractions for us to get busy with and so he will do that. We, we know in the, the wheat and the tares parable that he did that at night. He did that under the cover of darkness. He did that while the people weren't aware. And he did that when they were distracted with something else. And so he will do that with us too. He'll come when we're weak, he'll come when we're exhausted, he'll come when uh, maybe we're going through a hard time and he'll sow these different seeds or he'll try to just keep us busy and keep us entertained. He'll bring bread and circuses and. And we all have all those kinds of opportunities in our life. And He'll even do that even with spiritual things that keep us so spiritually busy that we get distracted on all the peripheral things that we lose sight of the, the most important things. And so the question is, are there bread and circuses in our life that the enemy is using right now? And if they are, let's expose them and get focused on what we need to focus on so that we can be fully devoted to Jesus. All right, there's some of you guys who needed to start thinking about the Roman Empire again. That's for you. Some of you guys will get that joke. Some of you guys will not get that joke. (laughs) Somebody got it. All right. Are any of these lies or any of these seeds at work in your life? Are there lies, conveniences, distractions? If so, if you've recognized any, of this, if the Holy Spirit has revealed anything to you, here's the good news. Remember, God's the inventor of seeds. God's the one who invented this whole process. So you can start to out the enemy. You can out the enemy. See, sometimes we have such a fixation on our harvest not being here that we neglect sowing seeds in the meantime. So many times we're so fixated on the harvest that we don't have that we stop putting seed in the ground. Sometimes we're so maybe fixated on what we see somebody else's harvest or maybe a past harvest in our life, and we're comparing that for what we're hoping for in this season. But here's the, here's the thing. I want you to understand about a harvest. Those of you guys who are gardeners or farmers or whatever, you understand this. A harvest, when you get the harvest, that's all you get is what you see. You get the, you, and it's it's great, it's, you know, but... There's a limitation there. As much as you have, that's as much as it's going to do. It's as much as it's going to feed. But if you have a seed, there's so much potential in a seed that keeps reproducing over and over again. What I'm saying is that some of us may be shortchanging the potential of God and his hand in our life because we've got an idea of what the harvest should be instead of putting our faith in the seed and the potential of God's seeds. And we're so focused on the harvest that we don't have that we've neglected sowing seeds. Why? Because a seed has potential. Watch this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the last scripture, and then I'll wrap it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Paul's talking about how he planted the, the seeds in the hearts of people in the church at Corinth. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts. And Apollos, another guy, he watered it. But pay attention to this. It was God who made it grow. It's it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. You're not responsible to make the seed grow or to produce a harvest. You're responsible for for planting a seed. Don't fixate on trying to make a harvest happen. Just, Just get back to planting seeds in the ground. Get some seed in the ground. Don't focus on the harvest you don't have. Get some seed in the ground. You focus on the sow. Let God focus on the grow. Imagine how much freedom and the burden would be lifted off your life if you stopped focusing on the harvest and just started seeing how many seeds can I get in the ground today? How many seeds can I get in the ground? If you're up against, maybe you've got this sin you just keep getting up against. And you're like, oh, and so you keep trying to to stop this thing. You keep trying to get out of this thing. What if you were just to sow some seeds of confession? Instead of so much trying to to get over here, but just start sowing some sort of seed. Sow a seed somewhere. Maybe you're in a relationship and it's just all about, like you're up against, you know, somebody who's just proud and whatever it is. Sow seeds of humility. I know that's hard to do, but just, just sow seeds. If that's the harvest you want is a harvest of humility, start sowing Seeds of humility. If you got a wayward you know, family or family member or something like that, listen, start sowing some seeds somewhere. Sow in somebody else's family. Sow seed in the meantime. Relieve yourself of the responsibility of making it happen and resolve yourself to the task of sowing seeds. If you find yourself in a season where you're financially tight, don't be selfish during that season. Find a way to sow a seed of generosity. You say, I have no money. Well, then sow your time, sow your joy, sow your peace, sow your heart, sow your words. But whatever you do, don't just be so fixated on the harvest you don't have that you stop sowing seeds. Out sow the enemy while you're waiting for the harvest. See how many seeds you can get in the ground every day of your life. As the worship team comes back up, I'm going to share a quote that that I love. It's very simple, but it's very freeing. It says, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. What kind of seeds can you plant today? Oh, you might not get the harvest you're hoping for, but man... Think about the power of how many seeds you get in the ground today. You're planning for a tomorrow. You're planning for tomorrow. Imagine the freedom of focusing on how many seeds you can sow today rather than complaining about the harvest you don't have today. Are there any seeds in your life that the enemy has done? Come on, let's root them out today. Are there lies you're tempted to believe? Don't let those grow one more day. Have you given up some of your autonomy, your authority, your freedom for a convenience? Come on, it's time to, to get back at it and say, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm taking back ground. Have you found yourself distracted instead of devoted? It's time to get some seed. Maybe you just got to plant some seed back in the secret place again and just get back into a place of God and say, God, I don't feel your presence right now, but I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm not saying to be fake. I'm just saying plant a seed. I'm just saying, give God something to work with. Remember, we plant the seed. It's God who makes it grow. Jesus is gonna, Holy Spirit's gonna make the seed grow, but you got to plant it. You gotta plant it. And so would you stand up with me as we just take just a moment here? Can we ask our, the Holy Spirit? We're going to take just a moment. We're just going to, we're going to have a moment of silence here for just a minute where we just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Are there seeds from the enemy that need to be uprooted? Are there seeds that I need to plant? Come on, let's take a minute. We're going to take just, we're going to give some space right now just for this to happen. Take a minute and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? silence can be uncomfortable for us, but we need to invite it a little bit more, because many times it's in the silence that that's where we hear the whisper of God. Lord, I pray that you'd confirm your word in us. We say we have ears to hear, but we're not just hearers of the word, we're also doers of the word, and I speak that over these people, but we are also doers of the word. When we bind any lie of the enemy right now, we say it has no place. We uproot any tactic of the enemy to try to take ground. We turn our hearts fully towards you, and we're determined to out the enemy, just say, let it be so in Jesus name. Amen. Let's respond in worship.